commercial property with Rethink Investing. Australia's largest and most comprehensive podcast covering all things commercial investing. You're absolutely right. We're superstars, the largest, most informative commercial property podcast. And nothing to do with me, Phil Tarrant, co-host, all about Scott O'Neill, director, Rethink Investing, who's the man of the moment, Mr. Popularity when it comes to commercial property. How's things, mate? Oh, good, mate. Uh, don't sell yourself short. You uh, <laughs> carry me through this. Thank you. So. You like that? You like that G up? You see what I did there right at the start? Make you uh, make you feel good about uh, oh. your, your Tuesday morning? Not really good with compliments, mate. So I don't know what to say. <laughs> okay. Well, let's revert back to the normal then. Me giving you a hard time, which seems to be the way that uh, we get the best results in this podcast. Here we are, mate. Still locked down. And a month ago, we were saying, oh, well, you know, hopefully we can get in the studio and do this. This is now uh, trifecta, three in a row via the Zoom rather than in person. It's not good, is it? No, no. The time's going uh, pretty quick, but it's, um, yeah, like, I don't know, real life seems like a long time ago all of a sudden at the same time. So, yeah, it's a very interesting times. There's a fair bit of um, hurt with with certain businesses and, and people's livelihoods out there and others are doing okay. It's a really sort of unfair market, it seems. And, um, yeah, let's all hope it just ends pretty quickly once these uh, vaccination rates are high enough. Yeah, you vaxxed up yet? Yeah, we got uh, we got done. So um, see how we are. Uh, hopefully uh, that all sort of results in a bit of freedom down the track. We'll find well, out. You get this sort of, we're calling this obviously New South Wales, we can chat about that, which seems to be the epicentre of COVID now. At some points you've got the Premier saying, yes, everyone get vaccinated 70% and then there's freedoms. But then at another point you say, well, we're not too sure yet what those freedoms are going to look like. So look, everyone's accelerating towards this magical 70%, double jabbed, 80% is the preference. But up until that point in time, we're still on the upwards trajectory with uh, COVID cases in New South Wales. Um, it was like twelve or thirteen hundred yesterday. The modelers of this sort of stuff reckon about the twenty twenty first of uh, September is when we're going to cap out, and we could be upwards of two three thousand cases a day. So um, anyway, everyone's getting jabbed. Uh, one thing we're doing well is, is getting the uh, the vaccinations into people's arms. And if you haven't yet got vaxxed up, and I'm going to get political about this, uh, get the jab. Let's move forward. But we're here to talk about commercial property, but, you know, commercial property is very much a story of COVID-19, like a whole bunch of industry sectors, like aviation in particular, uh, hospitality, restauranting, the events business, which we're in as well, all the story of COVID-19. And if you think back to COVID 1.0, March and uh, April of last year, all the talk around um, tenants getting sort of breaks on commercial leases. There was no nothing really mandated by the government. They just went, hey, work with your landlord to try and work it out. There's plenty of incentives around. Here we are, COVID 2.0. Not as much noise around it. It would appear that a lot of people are trading through this environment with a degree of certainty, knowing what the end result is going to be. There's still a lot of businesses hurting. I was only, Scott, the other day, um, went up to Crow's Nest, which is just up the road from where we are here. Crow's Nest is a a suburb for those of you who don't know, probably about sort of three k's from the city. It's got like a classic high street plus a whole bunch of resi around it now. Big uh, towers going up, new train stations going in. Really cool area. Wish I bought there twenty years ago. To be fair, but I reckon half, maybe a third to half of all the shops along the high street there had uh, four lease in there, or they're boarded up. And it looks like there's no trading happening there when things come back. So I want to have a chat about what retail in the new world is going to look like. Uh, some other news that we want to go behind today. In, in particular, a story that was uh, in the Australian um, talking about how you only need a couple of hundred grand to actually get into property. We'll stress test that, it's commercial property. We'll have a stress test about that. 
Brizzy property also, um, everyone's talking about what the Olympic Games means for a residential property. I want to get into commercial property, but let's chat about COVID-19 straight off the bat, uh, Scott. We don't need to go into the health crisis that everyone's familiar with. What does it mean for commercial property now? Already people are thinking about Christmas, things opening up, and if you haven't done your online shopping yet, you're probably not going to be able to get presents from Santa for the kids. And this is, again, a commercial property story. What's your thoughts? Yeah, look, this is a, a big story circling around at the moment that the supply chains across the world are just so stressed at the moment um, because of all this surge in purchasing things from your lounge room. And, uh, you know, obviously the, this is causing a lot of stress and there's a, a lot of political tensions around the world and it's basically making it harder to get stuff from overseas now. And on top of that, there has been a boom in shipping costs. So 2019, the average container from... China to Europe or China to the US uh, was circa $2,000 for the container. It's now jumped up to $12,000. So just to a, put it on a boat to get it there. Yep. So think Gold. about that. What that does is it increases the cost. And one of the reasons you buy from overseas is to make uh, a cheaper purchase than it is to manufacture it and purchase it in your own country. So that's going to close the gap and close the competitive advantage of places like China and, um, and and all those other countries that can produce goods for low cost. And it's going to put more focus back on local manufacturing. So I actually think this, this decentralization of manufacturing could be a good thing for places like Australia and its workers in here that have, uh, you know, we've obviously lost all our car manufacturing capabilities over the years because we can't compete with overseas. And then they, introduce things like luxury car taxes to try close the gap, but then they closed the uh, manufacturing down and kept the tax there. So there's all sorts of uh, issues that we face in Australia and we, we don't have much of a competitive advantage in that space, but I think that's going to come back a little bit. There's also government support going into manufacturing as well. And, um, yeah, look, it's just going to give us, you know, Australians more there's going to be more entrepreneurship into that space because, uh, yeah, there's a demand for it. And if supply chains are taking months to get products like like they are at the moment, then, you know, there's gaps in this market that are forming and COVID's a, a potentially a good reset of economy. You know, people have uh, seen their current industry slow down or, or vanish and, you know, there's going to be voids and people's ideas will hopefully come into it, fill these voids and, you know, this you'll see a lot of new businesses forming out of the uh, the rubble uh, that this has left. Yeah, I agree with you. And I don't want to sort of sound like uh, Mr. Australia with a Southern cross tattooed on my uh, on my shoulder. But, you know, to put that in the context, Scott, um, I think COVID and, and some call it COVID clarity, I think a lot of Australians who had an eye towards um, building a career outside of Australia, whether it was in Europe or America now, want to call Australia home. Uh, so this sort of inverse brain drain we're going to be able to keep very talented people in Australia, I think, for the long term. That's good. Aussie manufacturing, I think uh, we have huge capabilities in manufacturing, often overlooked. And if you look at you know, some of the issues we've had in the past around price competitiveness, that's going to be eroded on the basis that it's just as expensive to buy internationally. And I think we should all be buying Australian. We've got great manufacturing capabilities here right across the spectrum of how we do it. Advanced manufacturing, I don't need to think about in the defence and the space sector right now. You've got people building rockets and and parts for aeroplanes. And, and we're actually building here in Australia, for those of you that don't know, a thing called the Loyal Wingman, which is an autonomous uh, piece of kit. It's a plane, a drone, a, a UAV for 
the Australian Air Force, which is world-class and world-leading. We've got manufacturing here in Australia, staying on the defence side, um, down in uh, South Australia, um, continuous naval shipbuilding. So we're building submarines here. We're building frigates here. We're building all the things associated with it. So this is good for Australia. We are sort of a lifestyle superpower. We've spoken about this before, but if we can maintain that degree of diversification, how we create businesses and craft those businesses, it's good for those people who invest in commercial property that surround it. So how should you be looking at this, Scott? Where should you be? Is this a dart sort of thrown at the wall going, oh, I'll have a punt in buying manufacturing spaces? Is this a, you know, that's that's pretty big bananas and it's probably left to the big boys to create those big industrial warehousing units. But is it the subsidiary stuff that sits around it, the people involved in the supply chain around manufacturing or, or local manufacturing and how you get that out to Australians so we can actually get presents for Christmas because it's Australian made? Yeah, look, it is it is a bit of a general industrial kind of benefit there because, uh, you know, you manufacture things under a, a tin roof normally and um, also storing these products as well. And, yeah, look, there's going to be – it'll be an interesting thing because there still is a gap in many products which, you know, it is a lot more expensive in Australia to produce than uh, the likes of Asia and, uh, and other countries. But it's definitely – the gap is closing and how well it will affect, we're not too sure yet, but um, – Another thing that is worth considering as well is the introduction of robotics and things like that into the manufacturing process. So we all know this has been around for many years, but um, I know the German DHL companies have, you know, they've invested in about a thousand autonomous robots that are going to replace workers in their um, postal services over there. So like this could have an effect on the labor market potentially if this trend continues and it's very interesting and, you know, potentially worrying space for many workers. But, uh, you know, I think COVID is going to speed up the need for this because if people are getting sick or getting locked in their homes and businesses can't operate, well, what's a pretty, you know, replacing people is I know, a, a very quick way of fixing that problem. But, you know, that leads down the ethical path. Like how far do we keep replacing people? Like, like there's technology out there to, to run cars without people already. You know, at what point do we allow this to um, continue on? And, and that will have implications on the commercial markets too because it's just going to put more people under under roofs but less workers and then that might sort of mean there's less investment from individual investors long term but then there might be more very high, you know, maybe the top 1% will get a lot richer. Like it's, it's almost a can of worms that you and I will never be able to cover in a short podcast, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah but you need to look that... through histories at these inflection points of how people have worked or do work of um, change. There's been the same discussion as in it's going to replace people. There's less uh, need for people. Yeah, and they go back to the industrial revolution from people in cottage industries into large factories. You know, automation. Oh, it's going to replace people. Well, people have always found a new way to work. So there is going to be utility moving forward. How we work is different. The funny thing is, is that we've actually gone back to cottage industries where now people build stuff in their front room of their home. It's called work from home, right? But anyway, we won't go into that. The interesting point though is that commercial property, so where business takes place as a definition, so where you don't live, it's a bit where business takes place. It's going to keep in lockstep uh, with this. So uh, the most effective commercial investors are thinking about what those trends are going to be into the future. Now, we've spoken at length around logistics-type business, as in if people are uh, you know, buying more stuff from home. You know, If you're in a cardboard box manufacturing game, I reckon you're doing pretty well at the moment. But where all those cardboard boxes are stored, we're talking logistics centres, big bananas. Now, 
what I've seen here and sort of going behind some of the news, Scott, a lot of people don't or maybe not aware of this and I like your views on it. Australia is is world-class and world-leading in the usage of drones for the delivery of, of goods, whether it's roast chickens and um, and coffees all the way through to the stuff that you buy from your Amazons and uh, Google Wing. It's hugely effective up in the Logan Shire at the moment. So people up in Logan probably used to seeing drones flying around. Now, we're going to see a real shift to how people build commercial premises moving forward. You're just going to end up with big industrial centres, which is going to have a hot chicken shop, a coffee shop, you know, an Indian shop, you know, all these, um, what do they call them, black restaurants where there's no shop front. They're just a place where food gets created, drones picking them up and moving them forward. What sort of trends do you see now? Do you see any investability in that? Where should you be as a commercial investor looking to capitalise on that? Uh, so, yeah, look, commercial kitchens is one where, you, like you said, there's almost, uh, well, I think they're, they're trialling some, you know, basically there's no employees. and, uh, and they Ro- ro- Robots making yeah. your food. Exactly, and uh, and that gets droned out to you, or potentially drive-throughs where you it's literally like a vending machine. So, you know, you might see some of the big fast food outlets adopt this. I know KFC already has. It's inevitable that they'll all follow suit. And investors like they, yeah, these will be products you can invest in. And um, just like you can buy a KFC or a Hungry Jacks or a, you know a cat, you know Red Rooster already, these. Um, Food industries have proven very successful throughout COVID as well. Restaurants haven't, of course, because that's face-to-face. So the fast food model is is growing and it's been very resilient. And most retail outlets in the fast food industry have had record years in the last 12 months. So that convenience-type nature is it's COVID-friendly and um, you're going to see Probably a bit of a reversal, you know, when you know, I've sort of seen some numbers out of the US saying they're, you know, as they've opened up, they're actually spending about 20 to 30% more on consumable products uh, than they were this time last year. And they're actually 4 to 7% higher than they were in 2019. So once all the uh, borders and all this lockdown stuff ends, there is going to be pent up demand and you'll probably see everything do pretty well for a little while. Whether or not the you know the habits and trends that we've seen sit or fix, that'll be interesting, and and I think they will. Like a lot of these trends we've seen with COVID have to stay, you know, because um, these variants that what are we up to? I think we're up to the gamma variant. Some there's a new gamma variant out of South Africa now, I think, and yep. it doesn't look very good. So they're gonna they're gonna keep circling around forever, you would assume, and you know unless. Yeah, I think there's going to be uh, some things businesses need to adopt to survive moving forward. And if they don't, they'll perish. And and that's where this there's just a need for, you know, a lot of entrepreneurism to find solutions because people are still here and want to spend money. And yes, some have suffered, but some there's opportunity in, in adapting mm-hmm. to these changes. Well, it's, it's Australia's time to shine. And, and you sort of, you know, we're smack bang in the middle of this lockdown and, you know, it, a lot of people are doing it really tough at the moment, particularly those in those highly impacted areas. There's other people who are doing extremely well. You mentioned fast food type people are doing excellent at the moment. But, um, you know, you spoke about America now opened up and some of the trends you're seeing uh, flight back to spending some money. And, and Australians are, have more money in the bank now than what they ever have before. They're, they're actually been saving. So they're ready to roll. What are we seeing in Europe? Any trends there that you think that which we may see emulated here in Australia and any implications there for commercial property and commercial businesses? There's little things like there's there's a flight away from cash. So, you know, the cashless society is is going to change. Like um, I saw there was a, 
a report that the Nordic countries, that's your Scandinavia, Norway, Sweden, they've actually closed 60% of their banks. So, you know, the bank branches model. So it's going to be more businesses move online, less pressure on, I guess, the flexible work arrangements are considerable. The Nordic countries are interesting because they sort of give you a bit of a an idea into the future and, uh, and they are going cashless and they are reducing shop front pressures, but there's... Um, yeah, there's all these niche businesses popping up. And, you know, we're seeing some examples in Australia, like the micro breweries where they've got a, you know, a warehouse and they're sort of now there's a bar in the warehouse and there's more space there. And think about square meter rates or the, what is it, the four square meter rule that we've got to have. Mm. That's going to hurt potentially the nightclub model. And that might move people into different types of drinking situations. And, because that's not all going to die on the spot. No one's going to sit on a Zoom meeting for the rest of their life, catching up with their mates over a you beer. You can't wait to get out to the discotheques of the eastern suburbs, can you? <laughs> discotheques, love it. Yeah, I don't even know where they are anymore, mate. Not out of touch. <laughs> but um, I think that's going to be a that'll be a trend. You know, you're going to see lots of these little random businesses pop up, and um, yeah, others will just die. Like, who knows what's going to happen to you know the discotheques of the world if they got restrictions. Well, who knows? And it's funny you say that. Um, I went to a Bucks party. It was at one of those sort of micro breweries. It was out at um, oh, sort of South Sydney way, um, out uh, the back end of, um, I don't even know, like back of Alexandria type way. And I was sitting there at this micro brewery, which was just a brewery. And then they, it was just a big industrial space. And they put some tables out the back and everyone was drinking beer and eating fried chicken. And the guys were saying, yeah, we're just going to go on a, a micro brewery crawl. They said there's about 10 of them just around this particular area, just an industrial area. So that's how now people are doing their their drinking. Good if you sort of invested in that property 20 years ago and now sort of aluminium type sort of manufacturing places, now they're all turning to the new retail. This is going to be a trend for how the utility space changes and evolves uh, over time. Um, you look at Scandinavia and, and that's a good clue for, for how things are going to um, sort of translate into the future you know Denmark for example Norway they always rank sort of really high on the best places to live different types of economies they're very sort of socialist leaning um and they have very different attitudes actually when university in Norway Scott if you you probably didn't yeah. know that little tidbit of information so quite familiar with with how they operate and there's a lot of clues there but you know I tried to go to the bank the other day here um in North Sydney uh Commonwealth Bank closed down, signs up saying we've closed through the COVID. It's been like that now for 18 months, never to open again, I would say. And this is um, down on uh, Walker Street. St. George Bank closed. You know, they're closing down these bank branches. We've got to get used to it. So what's going to happen to this space moving forward? What's the future for retail shop front assets? Um, is it going to die and they're going to turn into something else? Or is it going to be a new breed of retail shops which are going to excel because at the moment, I, let's talk about Walker Street. There's still a Kodak film place there knocking out photo frames. And uh, we always walk past and go, look at that. There's a his, there, there's a museum, right? It's a, it's a bit of a joke. You know, there's a news agents still there. There's a couple of people knocking out sushi and Thai. Uh, there's two chemists on the same street looking at each other. What's that going to look like in 10 years' time? Give me sense. Well, I think that's the interesting thing. No one knows because, yeah, look, this COVID reset they've had is going to knock out a lot of those businesses. Like, you know, I'm sure you're the, you're the same. You walk down the street. I have the same things in my head. I look at that business and go, how on earth are you making money? Like there's one not far from where I live. They sell Optus insurance or something like that. I'm thinking, why do you need a showroom to sell that specific insurance? Like it's a little 
yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Like this is online already. Like you don't mm. need this shop front for this, but it's just going to knock out those crazy businesses and it's going to open up opportunity for other businesses to come in because I think based on what you're seeing around the world and, you know, I talk to people in Europe all the time and there's, there's an enthusiasm to get out and about at the moment. Like, you know, if you look back in the, you know, you see the videos of the old 1919 plague or 1918 plague, the roaring 20s happened after that. It was the one of the most, uh, you know, biggest growth periods you've ever seen in, in human history. And people were out and about. There was a lot of free money in the market. There was, you know, this, I'm not saying that it's the same thing that's going to happen, but history tends to repeat itself. And if uh, spending is up 30% and there's still a Delta variant going crazy through the US, then, you know, it, it's looking like the people are making up for lost time and some people have lost jobs. That means it's going to be brain power sitting, idling, thinking, what to do with my time. And uh, I think that's the, the really interesting thing we're going to see over the next decade. It's going to, you're going to see all sorts of new businesses and shop fronts and I think food and, and just entertainment is going to be huge. Uh, we'll see what it all looks at. But, uh, yeah, I think you'll see some businesses struggle, like the old news agency model, like, mm. you know, how can you run a business model off scratches or, you know, it might continue on. But, um, you know, all those sports, oh, no, the tab stores, you know. Yeah. You've got an app for that now. Like, do you need to go in there and, yeah, I don't know. There's many. Well, it's probably going to be more experience-based businesses now. I think people like to go to the tab to sit, but the problem is you can't drink or smoke in a tab, right? You go to the bar, you go to the pub to do that. So there's still a lot of old punters still sitting there with their form guide. You know, it's probably giving them something to do, but that's the experience. And I think businesses connected with experience will be those which will become front and centre moving forward. And and that also applies to to shopfront. Um, You know, everyone talks about sort of, you know, we're talking about logistics and the base of logistics type commercial assets is the support, the supply chain to get stuff from a warehouse to people's front doors. Everyone that's connected in with that. I'm not a big internet shop. I can't think of the last thing I bought on uh, online shopping. My wife does a fair bit of it, but um, I'm not a big internet shop. I like to actually walk into places. If I'm going to buy something, when I want to buy something, I want to walk in and go, I want that. I want it right now. And if it's not available, like I do it all the time with JB Hi-Fi. I go, I need a computer. What do you have in stock right this second? And I want I don't want to wait around for it. And I think that's more experience-based shopping moving forward. And, and commercial property is going to have to keep up with that, the different habits and behaviors. Some things you're always going to want to buy, I think, um, in person. Like if you're going to buy a new bike, you actually want to go and see it and sit on it, make sure it fits right. But again, there's going to be this sort of hybrid experience logistics-based businesses. And we're seeing that right now where there's a showroom, you choose it, then it arrives by you know, uh, a courier or whatever, but are you excited about sort of retail shop fronts? Would you be dabbling? Would you be investing in that right now? Seeing yeah. there is a big unknown. Yeah. Look, I, I like my last two commercial properties I bought were retail and I've seen an uptick in inquiries from tenants, uh, you know, from pool shops to you know, psychologists wanting to sort of occupy the space. So they are versatile and I don't really buy into all this drastic media talk about the office market's dead or, you know, the apocalypse of retail. Like this is this is all bullshit at the end of the day. Like people are going to go back to their habits and yes, there's going to be collateral when you've got big changes like this, but you don't just see prime real estate in the middle of the city all sit vacant for the next decade because uh, because we're in a lockdown right now. Of course, it, it looks bad right now, but this is a time where you've got to think, all right, well, you know, think long-term. You know, in 10 years, are there going to be more people living in this area? Are incomes growing? Is there... 
a need to uh, you know occupy this convenient space, or is the spot too hidden and there's too much? Like you, you got to weigh up the risks, not buy into the emotion of it. Just like you know, we talk about residential emotion can get you in times like this, but um, but use it to get a better deal. But um, yeah, I'm I'm excited because there is a bit of an unknown and. I know when borders open and these lockdown restrictions lift, there is going to be a good feeling around. And, uh, you know, it might be hard to see, especially if you've lost your job or you've seen your business vanish at the moment because, you know, your customers can't get there. But this isn't forever and and the restrictions will lift and there's, uh, you know, there'll be new limits and rules we've got to abide by. But um, I guess that's where, uh, like you said, people are smart and they'll, uh, they'll manoeuvre around and work out, you know, What's in need for this economy? Yeah, and like this whole idea of the uh, the death of of office space. You know, I remember back at the original pandemic when everyone was like really jittery, thinking, "Oh, everyone, everyone's got to be worried about this thing forever." I, I can tell you what. Um, you know, right now we're we're in probably a more draconian lockdown than what we were first time around. Before COVID nineteen, a lot of our staff were like, well, "Why can't we work from home? Why can't we work from home?" And we're like, "Well, we try to keep it off as environment, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I would be more productive working at home, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, COVID happens, and then organically, we've had to shift to a hybrid uh, model where we have, you know, we think sort of four months ago, and when it was back to sort of some sense of normal, people in the office and people out of the office. I'll tell you right now, the key thing I'm getting from our team is that we want to come back to the office. We don't want to work from home anymore. Working from home all the time is soul destroying. There's a whole bunch of complications which can manifest into, you know, anxiety and mental health challenges, et cetera, et cetera. People want to be connected and people now are demanding to come back to the office as quickly as possible and asking what our COVID safe policy is going to be around, around vaccination stuff. Another debate, but Offices aren't dead, I'll tell you that. If anything, they're going to become even more important and, and more engaged over time as, you know, people realise the importance of activity-based working. And to that point, you know, investing in office space, maybe not a great return right now, but I think the longevity of office space is going to be key. Maybe the way people do it is differently. Maybe it's not going to be solely CBD-based. It's going to be more satellite-orientated where every sort of sub-satellite CBD is going to have its own office market where people want to work within that area. But yeah, I'm pretty bullish on office. Um, what's the reports coming out of, you know, Jones Lang, the sale and stuff? We ran through some of these uh, a couple of months ago. They're all pretty bullish as well, right? Yeah, look, square meter rates are going up still. So I've heard, oh, look, I know there's many projects in the city, you know, over half, you know, half a billion dollars in terms of uh, individual jobs building. And like, you know, I was talking to a mate and he was doing an architectural design for a, some US firm that's about to sort of do a $600 million build in the middle of the city, these guys know what they're doing. You know, they're, they're obviously, and especially they're on the other side of the planet and they've come to Australia to build. So they must see returns. And And uh, I spoke to him about this company. They don't sell, they build and hold. So why would a company invest $600 million if they thought the office market was dead? Mm. There, there is going to be some hybrid buildings, so some repurposing of older ones they might put a bit more residential in them because um, the residential unit market right now, we all know is not popular, especially in Sydney. There is almost a two-speed residential market on offer at the moment where people want the backyard, but they don't want the units and particularly units near the city and in tall towers. Will this change? Probably as soon as borders are open because, uh, you know, three, 400,000 people migrating to Australia every year, um, units offer a very 
you know, a very, very important solution to them. They can be close and it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Well, it does, but it doesn't cost anywhere as much as a freestanding house to live in. And maybe they already live in units in their uh, native country. So mm. although it's not something I personally invest in, it's still not dead because, you know, the economy has taken thousands of years to get where it is today. Everything just doesn't change on a dime. It, it will take time to get back to normal, but yeah, but rest assured it will get uh, roughly to where it was. Oh, when, when those borders do open, um, you know, I think there's got to be a flight to Australia and that's uh, very positive for Australia moving forward in terms of having the right people to support what's going to be, you know, ongoing growth. But we've been a bit um, New South Wales-centric uh, this uh, podcast, Scott. Story here on smartpropertyinvestment.com.au around Brizzy, uh, residence commercial properties markets are set to receive a huge boost in price growth uh, as the Olympic Games put the city on the global map. What's your views? And I've been chatting about Brizzy residential as a result of Olympic Games. What does it mean for commercial, mate? Uh, look, there's going to be a whole bunch of building going on, and that's going to support, no doubt, the building sector and the associated supply chain. Would you be backing your money on Brizzy right now over any other state for commercial property because of the Olympic Games is a question to ask? Oh, look, it always comes down to the numbers. Like Brizzy is quite... Look, it's it's very hard to compete in this market. Like we've been buying heavily in Brisbane for you know since I started my company, Rethink Investing. It's uh, it's been a good market to us. We've seen yields compress significantly over the last twelve months. I think it is a it's the alternative to Melbourne and Sydney for locals. But what the Olympics will do is make it the alternative to Melbourne and Sydney for internationals. Think about the other countries that have had the Olympics. You know, Tokyo, Beijing, LA, Paris. These are huge global cities. Now Brisbane's in that mix. That's from a from a mentality point of view. That's enormous. You and I both know the infrastructure spending they do. It's you know obviously it's going to create some jobs, some some the temporary boost to the economy down there. But it's what it'll do from a, a global mindset point of view. It'll put it on the map. And and I know commercial. It's restrictions with overseas investors are very very loose. Like it's hard to buy a house in Australia. It's not hard if you're an overseas resident. For a commercial, it's a lot easier. Funding is a lot easier. Uh, it's not as political, so they don't try block certain investors. So it's, as long as you're not investing in a sensitive product like a, I don't know, a marine port or a hospital, things like that, mm. um, yeah, no, the government really doesn't care too much if you invest in a, you know, $100 million you know, industrial space or a shopping centre, it, it's sort of free game. And that's going to make money flow into Brisbane from overseas. And uh, and us Australians already know Brisbane is a good alternative. It's got good yields. It's a big city. So I think it's just going to put the eyes on it. And and that's, yeah, it's really just a confidence thing long-term for the market. Yeah, and uh, confidence is a key driver. And, you know, you made reference to the roaring 20s of last century, uh, this sort of period of economic growth. Let's remember there was a stock market crash uh, as well, but um, <laughs> but the heady days after the uh, the First World War, with uh, you had a hugely fatigued global economy, and and also uh, uh, the people after four years of, of horrific warfare, the twenties was pretty strong. But you had the emergence of some pretty interesting regimes during the twenties, which manifested in the thirties, put the world back to war in the forties. So let's hopefully we don't follow that same historic uh, paradigm there. Um, but look, great opportunities for Australia. Now, for those who are looking at commercial as an investment and an asset class, 
our side of residential, look, there's, there's direct commercial investment and you can also have exposure to commercial property through a whole bunch of other ways, um, ETFs or, or any other funds which are traded publicly or, or not publicly on different sort of stock exchanges. So if you want to get involved in commercial, you can do, but the thrust of this particular podcast, Scott, largely is direct investment. We've gone into sort of how you can go into other stuff like fractional property investment and all that sort of stuff. But there was a piece in the Australian, and this is you were quoted in this, I believe. All you need is 200K to become an avid commercial property investor. Tell me about this. 200K sounds pretty easy to get in if you most people would have that in their super fund. Yeah, look, the, and the media loves talking about you know, the minimum. And and it's something I've tried to steer away. In the early days of talking about commercial, I was very big at talking about the minimum entry level. And the, the reason was two, three, four years ago, there was plenty of opportunities to get into the entry level market easily. And like buying small industrial space, uh, small retail shops, that side of the market has got so much tougher. And the main reason is commercial is more popular now. It's like we're... We're quadruple what we used to be two years ago in terms of new inquiries, and it's it's just I think because residential's grown so much, and the you know the yields are so low there, like it's almost like a natural transition into a space that does look more lucrative. And that whole bottom end of the market has been crushed with demand. And that article, you know, we're quoting two hundred grand is the minimum. The article actually said one twenty, so you know we're quoting a three hundred grand property, you know, 30% deposit plus cost plus a small buffer, that's 120 grand total cost. I was saying realistically, you need 200 because, you know, how many 300 grand assets are just lying around? Like there's just simply not. Once you got 200, you can do an 80% loan. Like there's, there's a couple of banks out there that'll go up to 80% and you, your rates are into the low 2% or mid 2%. So there's good numbers on offer. But yeah, you want to be working off... Uh, you know, that, that sort of 200 minimum and you can buy a decent property in this market. There's not huge amounts out there. And, you know, if you ask me in 12 months, I'll probably say 300,000 is the minimum, but mm. that's the trend that we're seeing at the moment. That bottom end of the market has enormous demand from all walks of life that people now. Uh, and it, it's, all t- it's a good alternative to residential, which we all know is going pretty well nationwide as well. So, yeah. Well, I'm blaming you for that demand in uh, commercial property in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> we should, we're responsible for the spike. It made it hard for property investors to get in, but um, it's good to democratise this. And, and the fact that more people are seeing commercial as an asset class um, goes to show you know, how you can be a diversified investor and it's good to have some commercial in there. And as we spoke through in this particular podcast, the way in which commercial property is used will change over time. Get used to that and have a comfortable relationship with change. A lot of things you probably can telegraph, a lot of things you probably can't telegraph. I think sort of ongoing sort of expansion of logistics-based industrial will be the norm. The key thing is going to be how your traditional sort of high street or um, sort of more block-based retail is going to be used and and the experience-based shopping that that a lot of Australians do enjoy, but um, uh, how that's going to have a sort of pivot into e-commerce as well. So that's a big unknown really for me at the moment. And I think you'll just it'll just happen. Some smart people will come out and start doing retail differently. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of that's already factored in the yield. So historically, retail has a lower yield than industrial because two, three decades ago, industrial was viewed as more risky because it was easier to supply, quicker to build. You know, there's lots of land available. So people were in the past 
more fearful of industrial and, and retail was more of your, um, you know, the darling child at the time. Now that's reversed. Retail mm. uh, is a little bit off sorts with people uh, and everyone wants industrial. So the yields are actually sharper or lower in industrial than retail for like-for-like type asset. That's an opportunity, you know, and that's why like you always want to be a little bit counter-cyclical in how you invest. And, um, you know, full disclosure, like, you know, we still buy more industrial properties than retail because, there is weakness in the retail market, but there is an opportunity now. If you get good quality retail, you're going to get a better yield than you probably should versus the interest rates. And uh, if you have a stomach for a little bit of risk and you can deal with, you know, a potential vacancy or, you know, it, like you said, this this change that will happen over the next decade, you know, that's the risk as a commercial investor you need to be comfortable with. If you're not, forget this space, you know, stick mm. to buying the forward bedroom house in the suburbs and, Hopefully that'll do well for you. But if you are a little bit more experienced and sophisticated and uh, can understand that uh, there is potentially a little bit more risk in that space, um, you know, you're going to, you know, you're risking more reward as well. So mm. it's, it's the forever balance. Yeah, I think it's, as part of a theme for this podcast, Scott, if mean you could sort of just what, what the future of the utility of commercial property is going to be um, moving forward. And, and, and I think office largely is going to be set in stone. I think, you know, with office markets, it's going to be this hybrid working environment, people in three days, two days a week, working from home the other period of time, whether they work remotely or or locally. I think that's not going to change too much. I think how they use office space will change quite a lot. The big sort of unknown for me is, is this retail space. Maybe we should get some people on have a chat with us uh, who operate, um, maybe doing fit outs um, in these type of stuff and, and what different... Yeah clients are demanding now and how they're reshaping the internals of this stuff to be more effective, um, whether it's uh, this whole retail experience, you know, how they're setting up their shops now to give a, a retail experience and how that might interface or, or juxtapose with the e-commerce components of it, how, you know, here we're, we've got a couple of floors here, how we're using this space. I think that'd be a good theme for us, mate. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think uh, it'll be interesting because I've heard some, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to call it wiring, but, you know, it's, Things like uh, I think Knight Franks were one of the big real estate companies were making employees where they were sort of like GPS trackers. So yeah. when they got close to each other, it would send alarms to head office, and like it was, it sounded like something out of a, you know, some kind of you know sci-fi yeah, yeah, film. Yeah. And it, you know, this stuff is probably going to be in our face over the next decade. So yeah, look, how businesses are fit out and run uh, are going to change, and um, some people won't like it, and. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There, yeah, let's let's see if what we can dig up and chat about it. Yeah, that's cool. All right, good chat, mate. I, I enjoyed that. A bit a bit of musing about the world, uh, and it just reminds me how uh, I've got to uh, be quite. I'm, I'm providing my sort of real world observations on this, but I, I, you know, by way of disclaimer, I'm not a commercial property expert. I'm a guy that works in property and, and talks to people who are our experts, i.e., you. So, um, there's some of my sort of personal musings, but maybe that's a balance because. I give the view of um, not only as a commercial and a, a property investor, but also as a, a business owner uh, and, and a, also a consumer of this stuff. So it's not a bad blend, mate. Uh, it's good. And I think, uh, yeah, I'm just interested to see what all uh, happens over the next month or two with, uh, with Sydney and Melbourne in lockdowns because, um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of fatigue and mental health issues out there. And, and look, that's that's just from an investing point of view, though, like it, people have never gone harder. I've, I've, I've just... It's sort of almost to this day the thing that I can't get my head around. Like, oh, you know, I'm sure we all thought things were going to be really slow and people would park up investment decisions. But um, 
yeah, lockdowns and out of work forces people to think, what do I well, do co- with my COVID money? clarity, Scott, COVID clarity, people are going, okay, is this the way it is? Let me just rethink and, and recheck. And, you know, we need to remember during this period of time, some people are doing really well, some people aren't doing so well. And, and are you okay day is just around the corner, uh, which is a really good reminder uh, of some of the challenges that people have, uh, the fog that can uh, sometimes uh, exacerbate into some significant medical and mental health challenges. So remember to connect with your friends, your colleagues, your peers, um, just check in, seeing if they're all right. It's an important time to do it. And are you okay? Today is a good reminder for that. But thanks for your time today, Scott. Really enjoy the discussion. Hopefully, maybe not next month, but the month after, uh, we can back to the studio, back in business. Uh, I hope so, mate. It's uh, definitely keen to get back into it. So fingers crossed. Nice one. Uh, uh, that's Inside Commercial Property. Phil Tarrant, Scott O'Neill, your co-hosts, uh, Scott, any further questions? People want to sort of go, all right, that all sounds good. What do I do next? What do they um, do? How do they keep, How do they connect with you? Yeah, look, best fed, just rethinkinvesting.com.au. You'll see a, a talk to us button in there. So just reach out. We'll uh, give you our two cents on the commercial market, what's out there. And, uh, yeah, always happy to chat. So, uh, yeah, just reach out. Nice one. All right. Uh, we'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye.